is PowerQuest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. PowerQuest is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, Chris Grabowski, hello, and Tyler Dinner, hey there. This week's episode, Loose Lips Sink Ships. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Public Quest. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is nobody because we're not together today like we were last episode. But over the internet to my left, of course, is the wonderful Chris Grabowski just a few blocks away. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. Uh, and and uh, to your left, a couple more blocks away, is Tyler Dinner. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, a lot of stuff's been going on because we took three weeks off, two weeks off. Not uh, enough time off. First of all, can I say, off. I did not know we were doing an ACDC title album. I mean, oh, okay. Is this the beginning of our farewell tour that will last, like, 30 years? What? <laughs> oh, no, who no, is they that? Is a that farewell uh, tour yet. They're not the Eagles. The Eagles, that's what they, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Black Sabbath ended this year gracefully as well, but uh, Eagles did not end. Anyway, uh, They even cool. had the Hell Freezes Over tour, and that was, like, 15 years ago. Were you even aware that Loose Lips Sink Ships is a ACDC line? No. Are you aware that Loose Lips Sink Ships was a uh, popular phrase from World War II about not not talking about what the U.S. troops were doing? No. Interesting. Yep. That's where the phrase came from. And there's a lot of World War II pro-American propaganda that says things like Loose Lips Sink Ships and other ways. You know, the we can do it, like that era of images. So nice. Uh, well, the episode it's the Loose Lips. Song. Let's get it up. Oh, sorry. Kids. Well, I should have had that queued up. I'm sorry, Tyler. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the first line in the song too. Oh man, I should have. What album was that? Uh, I want to say for those about to rock. Yeah, gotcha. Great album. Also, a very interesting album in that it is one of the biggest uh, letdowns in album history. If you look at the sales from the previous album to that one. Why is that? Uh, they just well, couldn't get one, it together. Back in Black was the album before, and that's hard to follow up in oh, general. And yeah. that sold like 15 million, and, and so the next one sold like 500,000. But also, uh, if you listen to the production, it's it's pretty interesting. You can see that uh, the vocals just don't cut through quite as much, um, and the uh, and the guitars just don't bite as hard. Gotcha, gotcha. But the songwriting's good. Great album. So give it a whirl. Fantastic. Well, that's not your plus one for the week. We'll have that later. No. Uh, but it looks like uh, our last episode, by the way, was about virtual reality. I know it seems so long ago. And one thing that we forgot to mention is that there is a New York virtual reality conference this fall in October. And that's it. It's at the Javits Center from October 26th through the 28th, aims to be the biggest virtual reality conference on the East Coast. Well, the biggest tech conference in New York is coming up, VelocityConf. Uh, I don't remember exactly when that is, but it's coming up. I know that. When you say tech conference, what exactly does that mean? Uh, real tech, as in the stuff that's over your head. No, I'm kidding. Sounds well, this uh, is actually over your head, which is ironic. Math to do their code. It's it's actually usually considered a very salesy conference, but it's uh, O'Reilly's Velocity Conference. Uh, generally, it's op- uh, open source that is backed by uh, uh, companies that uh, have these presentations. There, uh, a bunch of people from my company are going. Uh, it's a little up in the air if I'll get to go, but uh, it's definitely one of the biggest conferences, if not the biggest, in New York City. That's right, and that sound came from our wonderful studio audience who are more than happy to break out of their Tupperware container. That's right, we keep them locked inside during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us. And it is a Sunday this week. It's We're nice so to have selfish. them. So, uh, yeah. 
Anyway, a couple of other things to talk to, uh, talk about right o- over the top. Like, have you heard about a, um, a giant hurricane that's currently impaling South Florida right now? No, tell me more. Well, let's, uh, how about this? Let's go to our outdoor correspondent, Eric Newman, with more information about Hurricane Irma. Yes, that's right, Eric! I'm standing here outside in the braving the weather from the hurricane. I'm right on the west coast of Florida. I'm right outside of Naples. Now, what's my about a category two? Ah. tied to a tree nearby, so he shouldn't have drifted too far. He uh, might find true love with a mermaid somewhere in the storm. Uh, we don't know, but... Uh, he might wrestle an alligator. He's going to he might just re- in that storm surge water. He might just re- wrestle a Florida citizen, being that they are naturally hostile. That's the worst of his concerns. Yeah. At least their guns won't work in the wet conditions. This is true. But they probably will be armed with other things. Like they're broken bottles that they just emptied. Yeah, I mean, you have to be armed in the situation down there. Absolutely. It's Florida. You have to be armed anytime. It's Florida, and yeah, all the rules are going to be gone. So uh, it could be pandemonium. Hmm. <sighs> hey, guys. Hey, how was the story? How's it? You made it out of life. That was, that was intense. I, uh, I don't even know. I was right there on the beach. And they, you know, they say don't go outside during these storms because it's dangerous, but I don't listen to those government warnings. Those are well, pansies. they also say don't go to Florida, period. Period, right. Well, that was the mistake. Uh, yes, and uh, Florida is but a sandbar protruding above the ocean only a couple of feet, and Mother Nature is trying to reclaim it back. Uh, yeah, Hurricane well, Irma is uh, <laughs> it's currently uh, uh, doing the two fingers up the backside of the peninsula. And it is, uh, Florida is not enjoying it. But... More on that next week. Well, I sure hope you have a sham wow handy. <laughs> it actually, maybe not, because all of that stuff comes from Tampa, which is exactly where the hurricane's headed. All the sham wows are going to get soaked. All those infomercials well, maybe, maybe are filmed in Tampa. Maybe it's going to uh, uh, end up uh, making the hurricane uh, turn into uh, just a regular storm. All the sham wows are just going to absorb all the moisture. Problem solved. There you go. There were uh, uh, quite a few Fl- uh, Floridian hurricane events. As uh, a fan of hurricanes and someone who grew up in Florida, um, there was one of them. Everybody uh, point their fans at the hurricane to try to blow it away. Uh, I said, stand your ground, everyone. Point your guns at the hurricane and try to shoot it away. And that was a joke. <clears throat> but uh, people took it seriously. <laughs> and uh, Because it is Florida, and uh, people down there love shooting at things. Uh, 
I guess someone eventually had to make an image saying, don't shoot your guns because they, the bullets will come back and hit you. I wonder, in theory, if it is possible to shoot enough guns at a hurricane at one time so that the wind of all the, of the bullets stops the force of the hurricanes. That's one of those things like, could Jesus microwave a hot pocket so hot that he himself could not eat it? <laughs> well, the answer is everyone can. That, that, that's just a bad example. <laughs> gotcha. That's, well, that's testing the powers of the microwave, not the savior. <laughs> that's uh. Giggity, 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 giggity. Who else but Quagmire? He's Quagmire. You know that was actually the wrong jingle to play. What happened was, <laughs> I guess, because it's a hot <laughs> that pocket. That was poor taste. No, what, what happened was, well, what happened was this: uh, that I got a new iPad. Finally, my old one is, is broken. It has a cracked screen. It's out of space, and the, it constantly uh, turns itself off. So I finally got a new one, uh, and I had to reload up the jingle machine. And that was that was the real reason why I got it, it was for the jingles. And uh, it, it made me realize how comfortable I'd got on the old one, and, and I had to go fish for all these clips again. And, and uh, the Who Else But Quagmire didn't just... Usually when I hit it, it just goes like, Who Else But Quagmire? But it, it didn't. It did the whole thing, so... And you weren't responsible, and you didn't archive your previous MV- MP3s that you found. I did. They're just somewhere. So I got... Just at least somewhere. I recovered the... Uh... Yes. Along anyway. with all of his porn. Right. No, I don't look at porn on he iPads. It. I mentioned this to you the other day. Use my computer for that. Some guys are streamers. Some guys are savers. It's okay. <laughs> no, you, can, uh, you know, I, I'm a... I'll, it's Tyler, I'm definitely a streamer. But uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, just a quick update on uh, one thing that we'd love to talk about on pull request, which are the trains around New York City. Uh, the summer of hell, summer of hell, is over. Is it? Though? <laughs> well, I mean, it never. You know, this Christian being from Long Island, riding the Long Island Railroad is never not hell. Yes. So, having just a summer of hell, maybe it's because summer is over and hell is not. Hmm. Yeah, so now that sounds it, right. that it sounds will turn right. into the fall of hell. Summer's got like another week and a half. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's very, it's 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 very. Um, yeah, fall equinox is until the twenty first. Yeah, could two finger back door you. Okay, well, they've got, <laughs> that's, that's true. They've got a, they've got they've got time for uh, more stuff to break. Uh, no, it's very it's very weird and slightly frightening when the uh, government agency or multiple government agencies, as Amtrak was created from the consolidation of failing uh, railway companies. Uh, that everything has been completed on time and on budget. I don't like how that sounds. What that do you think, sounds Richard? like BS. That sounds like complete BS. It's quiet. And uh, Too quiet. well, here's here's what actually happened. They say that uh, uh, what is it? Amtrak said Thursday that the day's service on the uh, on its trains, as well as those operated by the Long Island Railroad and, and New Jersey Transit, will return to their normal schedules at Penn Station. That doesn't mean all the work is finished, however. Additional work will last until June, but most of it will take place on the weekends when traffic is lighter and Christian visits his family. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Anyway. Uh, I wanted to briefly touch on... Uh, speaking of getting new things and reformatting and upgrade, I wanted to briefly touch on uh, PHP FPM. Uh, Christian, you are known uh, hater of PHP. And, yeah, but uh, if you know if you're going to use PHP, you'd rather be PHP FPM or HHPM than well, exactly, PHP. exactly. So uh, as as I've mentioned earlier, I have formatted my computer with Mac OS Sierra. 
mm-hmm. and no longer called Mac OS X, by the way. Just a quick distinction. Uh, and I have to set up all of my local, uh, my locally hosted websites again. Mm-hmm. They're all mostly so, mostly Landstack. Hold on. That's and uh, what happened was, of course, I now have the opportunity to not use the standard packaging, the standard PHP packaging that comes with Homebrew and Homebrew mm-hmm. Landstack which means that I might be able to see a better bit of performance out of PHP on my laptop, which, I mean, it's performed pretty well. So the first thing that you did wrong, though, is PHP FPM doesn't have first-class support for OS X. That's right, because I quickly ran into another problem, and that's why I wanted to bring this up. Well, most, most libraries these days just assume you're running Docker, so that way you can run Linux anywhere. Should I have? So I, okay. Yeah. So I should have put each site in a Docker image, or I, I just make yep. a Docker image for all the sites? Or what would be the cleanest way of doing this locally? Yep. Uh, Christian? Did we lose Christian? I think we just lost Christian. Is he back? I'm back. Are you back? Hey, are you recording this show locally, Christian? I am. Good, because I forgot to hit record on Zencaster until uh, a couple minutes ago. No, I I realize. Wonderful. Uh, Well, we we had just a small hiccup here. So, uh, anyway, you were saying PHP FPM... Uh, oh, w- would it be better to have a Docker image for each site? I guess that would be the better yeah. way. Yeah. But isn't that kind of cumbersome? You're going yeah. to have like 20 Docker images on this site, and they're all going to have to... That's nothing. They're going to share the uh, everything up until the application layer. So you, because it's a copy and write file system, it's going to sh- share a bunch of the image. So you have your base uh, Linux... Uh, well, you have the, the Scratch Docker image, which doesn't take up anything. And then on top of that, you have, uh, if they're all using the same Linux distro, you're going to have that layer of the file system. And then you have, like, Apache, PHP, anything else you want to throw in that container. If you, you can use the same image right up until you add the code, which you don't even need to necessarily add the code. You could also just do a uh, bind mount uh, volume. Ah, that makes sense. And so I do all of the Apache config in the Docker image. And then mm-hmm. I... And because they all go to the same directory anyway... You can have basically the same configuration across all the sites. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it, I'm just trying to think right now. There's not a, there's not really any site that has a specific has too much configuration on its own. Um, okay, well I should have done that. But one thing I found with PHP FPM on Mac OS is that it doesn't like spaces, as in a space character, because what Apache does is it uses a proxy pass and it pa- and it forwards the URL to an FCGI URL, which then if, if like, the, it, it, I'm not even talking about the file. I'm talking about if the folder on your computer anywhere in the path has a space in it, it's not going to like it. Well, so... Even, I know if I tried URL encoding and it didn't make a difference. Well, so one thing. Uh, first off is it doesn't pa- fast forward to an... Uh, sorry. It doesn't forward to a FCGI URL. It forwards to a FCGI endpoint. Uh, usually it's going to be a Unix socket. It can be a remote address, but... Not usually. Uh, second thing well, okay, is, the, well, the, the issue says, is spaces are encoded. This says FCGI like a URL handler. Yeah. That's, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, so it's FCGI protocol. But. Right. Uh, so the, the issue with the spaces is that uh, spaces are encoded differently depending on what kind of text encoding you're using on OS X versus Linux. Oh, so it wouldn't even be like converting the space to a percent 20 or converting a space to a plus no. It would be... I'm actually curious if what uh, text encoding they're using, because if you're using, say, 
well, this is something about I mean, Apache, I guess. all if UTFA? Or is that not... I, I don't know if it is or not. It's, it's, it might be doing like ASCII. It might be doing something else. I'm not entirely sure, actually. I mean, do you want me to... Do you want me to check? Because it's uh, for, with the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. For the sake That's of the show, let's yeah, okay. not. Let's... But hey, you know, this is a, this yeah. is a tech show, and it's about technology. And when else do I get Christian to help me out with uh, my tech problems? Except <laughs> when we're on the show. So, uh, Christian, since we're done with our local crap, it's time for your GitHub issues of the week. Our first GitHub issue of the week comes to us from our favorite JavaScript framework, of course, React. React child fiber dot coerce ref does not like undefined ref on a component. The writer says, is this a bug or a feature? It's a bug. What is the current behavior? Coerce ref in the React child fiber accepts ref equals null on a component, but not type of ref triple equals undefined. And so borks with, quote, expected ref to be a function or a string. Bork, bork, bork. Uh, could be fixed by either coercing ref into being null if undefined also, or also testing for undefined. And t- uh, treat type of ref triple, e- triple equal undefined as ref tri- triple equal null. Uh, interesting. Well, Christian, what do you have to say about this before I, I well, drill down? Uh, uh, being that you're the front-end uh, engineer here, I was kind of curious your take on it. Particularly, I don't even know what a React child fiber is. Honestly, I'm about that. On, on, honestly, I don't. Uh, I don't maybe, either. Maybe it's a fiber, as in it's. A like, so I think it's. No, I think it's like React Sounds fiber. Like a kid that's allergic to fiber. Uh, <laughs> no, no, there's dirt, a, no, and I'm not. I'm not using React fiber yet. But there's. It looks like there are a couple open issues. I mean, here's one mm-hmm. fiber string refs in owner tracking. Um, it's probably just some binding. With well, the way this that is it, also a release candidate, not a stable release. Is this? Uh oh oh sixteen RC two, but but the is React Fiber ready yet? dot com website says yes. <laughs> so I get I get, I guess that's what it is because I I haven't really what I don't understand is if your ref is null on your component why would it even have an error why would it even count as anything? It would well, just, that's what the maintainer or uh, the bug reporter contributor. Uh, response. No, the, not oh, the, oh, the oh I see. Curious. How are you ending yeah. up with an undefined ref? Create element should return null or a real ref. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems to be when I have a function in render which returns an array with a string and an element to render like so. Uh, and then he has a, a JSON object and he's passing as props a React element. That seems fine. Uh, can you see code return the array? It is the result of a call to simple markdown to format an internationalization string into React elements. Huh, of it works. Yeah. Oh. So that's a special use case and not a problem with the React. No, it is a problem with the string parsing or the oh. text encoding. Right? Yep. Yeah. Same issue as with Apache. Look at that. Well, question. not same, but I'm kind of the same. Similar issue yeah. to with Apache. Okay. Let's hear it for our next... GitHub Issue of the Week. Our second GitHub Issue of the Week comes to us from Let's Encrypt, our second favorite library to use. It's not really a library, I guess. Well, Well, it's a service. Service. Like using it. Uh, Let's Encrypt is about to expire on, I think, pneumonium.com soon. I have Mm. to do that. Uh, Anyway. So the specific project is Boulder, which is their root CA. So that way, if you wanted to host your own CA, you could also just run Boulder. Host Cert- your own CA. Wow. Certificate authority. So no, I know, way, I know, I know. No, I know, but Tyler asked. Oh. Yeah. So, oh, right, and this is a podcast, of course. Yeah. Yeah. What name. would you use a certificate authority for, Christian? So a certificate authority signs each certificate 
validating that it's basically saying I, the CA, certifies that this certificate is what it says it is. So, and then the what type of certificates, oh, what use cases? And the authorities. Uh, so the, mo- the most uh, general, or I should say the most widespread use case is HTTPS. You use this for TLS on your HTTP connections. And so when you uh, go to a website, you uh, uh, end up uh, get, uh, receiving a certificate. And if the certificate is what it says it is, validated by the CA, then you uh, set up this encrypted connection between uh, the client and the server. Right. So it's how you know that people are legit when you go mm-hmm. to their website. Right. Yep. And all the certificate authorities are assumed to be trusted. It's almost like the Federal Reserve Bank and mm-hmm. your money. Well, you can, also run, you can also run your own, in which case only you and you your organization can consider trust it. Exactly. Uh, yes. Um, but right, if you use Boulder, I guess it's still – that doesn't help with that. It just lets you spin up the CA to use basically Yeah, no, this is, just, this is just yours instead of having to like manually sign it or something. But, you know, if I'm running Windows Server, I could just check that box to also make this server a certificate authority. Oh, no, I know. Windows, Windows is nasty. It will even let you uh, add domain uh, – uh, uh, DNS records under a different domain than the uh, one for the zone that you created. Ah, that sounds like Windows. Yep. Okay, well, <laughs> our GitHub issue from Let's Encrypt says, uh, the writer says, I recently discovered this bug when wa- when working with Boulder. I realize that this is an extreme edge case that is only causing issues with very specific types of setup, but nevertheless, I wanted to make you aware of the issue. I'm currently testing a setup of three Boulder CAs that are connected to the same database cluster and use the same certificate for signing. I hate the sound of my of breathing. And, like, when I, like, in order to go through... Anyway. To test the setup, I created an Ansible script that requests a certificate, renews it, revokes it, and checks the OCSP. What's that? That is a part of the um, ACME protocol, which the ACME protocol is the way to issue certificates via Let's Encrypt. Ah, I got you. Uh, when, the, when the OCSP response came back as good, even after the certificate was revoked... A look at certificate status in the database revealed that the status of the certificate was indeed set to revoked, but the OS OCSP response blob still contained the good response. I was able to determine that this happened because OCSP update, or the OCSP update after renewing the certificate, was handled by a different server than the certificate revocation, and the server's clocks were slightly out of sync. This resulted in certificate revoked date actually being one second earlier than OCSP last updated. Uh, which means that even after the revocation, the OCSP updater was not triggered again. And then they have some uh, uh, log samples. What is this? Well, this yeah, is sh- database. This query. is sh- uh, they are log samples technically, but it's kind of like if you did like a full audit on uh, your SQL database of whatever SQL uh, you're using, and it just shows what uh, SQL instructions uh, were uh, ran on the machine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, due to the clock on Boulder 3 lagging a little bit behind Boulder 2, OCSP last updated ends up being later than revoked date, like we mentioned. And before the OCSP resp- and therefore the OCSP response is never updated. I've set up an NTP functionality to sync the clocks between the servers. However, since 100% sync on milliseconds level can't really be achieved, I'd imagine it's theoretically still possible for this to happen again. I discovered that the OCSP updater, when writing a new OCSP response to the database, actually checks the status of the certificate to make sure that it doesn't uh, 
to make sure that it doesn't, for example, write a good response to a certificate that has been revoked in the meantime. This guy needs some more punctuation. So I suggest adding, adding a, a similar check when writing the revoked status to the database to make sure that the revoked date is actually later than OCSP last updated. Thanks, and keep up the good work. And then the response is, thanks for the detailed bug report. Uh, so I suggest adding a similar check when writing the revoked status to the database to make sure revoked date is actually later than OCSSP updated. That was a quote. That's, no, I know. Oh, yeah. sorry, well, I didn't say that out loud, sorry. Uh, right, so the responder uh, quotes that from the original poster and then says, that sounds sensible to me. We'll probably dig into the issue next week, but I wanted to reply now to make sure this was act. Acknowledged. So what you have here is a distributed race condition between particular instances of Boulder writing to the database. And, and because their clocks are in sync, it created this issue. Yeah, which is a very common issue in distributed systems. So their solution is to do a check ahead of time if they have, uh, I guess, the right condition to do that right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Shall we move on? Yep. Our third GitHub <laughs> issue comes to us from WebTorrent. It says, WebTorrent resolve, but do not download. Uh, what operating system in Node.js? Windows. Uh, Node 8 plus. What did you expect to happen? Uh, and they pasted in some code, client equals new WebTorrent, client.resolve, and then they have a function, console.log torrent. In the, in the resolve uh, callback, it allows you to pass a function with an argument called torrent in it. Uh, what actually happens, this starts downloading the file automatically. Is there any method available to get torrent information, including, and they say torrent.torrent file, torrent.torrent file blob URL. Feature to not start downloading files automatically will be nice, or am I missing something? And it says the only thing that you could get without actually downloading data is the metadata of the torrent, not the files, not the blob URL. Resolve is not in the API, so this is not a bug, but a feature request. And uh, then he pasted a workaround. What do you think, Christian? Uh, I think the workaround is pretty uh, just fine. Because and, cause that, cause when you... Uh, oh, you're not even... Uh, well, new clients, so they, have, they already initialized cli client equals web torrent? Or no? Because this says new client equals client.add, but above, mm -hmm. it looks like they have client is the result of the constructor, and client.add does not actually yield a response. Well, so client.resolve is doing just the lookup, and then add is actually doing the download, so... No, I know, uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying... Oh, never mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they still have client initialized above. Um, okay, so new client's actually saving the client info, saving the torrent info, and then destroying the torrent. Okay, that makes sense. And then you would just have it download again later. What yep. are they making? Uh, so WebTorrent itself has a standalone uh, thing that you can run as a um, Electron app. Uh, it's really okay. good, actually. You can even pipe it through Tor. It's pretty cool. Ah, gotcha. And it's just using WebRTC instead of your usual uh, BitTorrent to do BitTorrent protocol. Well, it's, we it's BitTorrent over WebRTC. Right. Is that better than just straight BitTorrent? Well, you have the benefit of running in a JavaScript VM instead of C on your OS. Oh boy, that sounds so much more performant. But more secure. Jo really? It's more secure? Slightly, because there are BitTorrent clients out there that are, have, have never updated if you're using some of like, the really old ones that were like the 
I don't know, I was using as a kid when I was uh, still running Windows XP. Um, like Azureus or whatever yep, that was? exactly. <laughs> yeah. What about transmission? Is that still good? Uh, transmission is fine. I still see uh, apt-get updates in there uh, every once yeah. in a while. So that's maintained. Yeah. Yeah. And their uh, their block list updates too. <clears throat> anyway, our next GitHub issue number four comes to us from Habitat SH. Random well, error. Habitat, which is a chef project. Oh, chef with an S. I'm kidding. Uh, the writer says we have noticed her, her picture looks familiar. Like she also posts on a Facebook group. Anyway, we've noticed from random uh, random failures while testing with the Node.js. Uh, wait, I can't. I gotta read this again. We have noticed random failures while testing with the Node.js example application running on Kubernetes with the Habitat operator. They seem to just produce an endless loop of entries with no real error to show. As per suggestion from at Christopher Meyer on Slack, I am opening this issue. These errors are very randomly occurring. For example, and then she posts in a stack trace. Uh, Ooh, that's, that's an interesting stack trace. Uh, no such file or directory. UVCWD, oh. So that's... Process.cwd no is coming up as null? Well, so that's... Yeah, that's node uh, erroring at the libuv level, which means that there is no current directory within the... Does that, uh, mount, does that mean like space. you delete the file after you launch the program? So within the... Uh, Habitat doesn't like to call itself a container, but it most certainly is a container. And there's a mount namespace that isolates uh, file mounts, and so in this situation, it seems that there has not been a um, directory or file system mounted. Gotcha. So there would be no current working directory. Interesting. So it's not really a, a bug with Habitat, is it? It might be. In fact, I think it is. Oh, okay. Okay. The frequency of this affects the Habitat operator end-to-end -end tests. The frequency is somewhere around 1 out of 10. To be able to more stabilize this and to also to better the Kubernetes experience when using Habitat, maybe we could do two things. One, make error messages more useful. It would be very useful to see what actually goes wrong and if there is something I can do to fix it. Note I have I've yet to try to do that with the debug flag. We'll report back. And two, limit the number of supervisor retries, for example, with a flag. In the current scenario, it keeps retrying. We could, for Kubernetes, uh, for Kubernetes, Kubernetes world, limit retries and eventual and eventually fail. This would be very useful as the pod would be restarted on failure, and a new one would spawn up and successfully create a new service. That's what we're seeing right now when we want to manually restart the pod. And then, do you want me to just go to the response? Sure. Uh, thanks for filing this issue. Offhand, I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but here's some related information. Number one, that missing package for Hab Launcher should go away with uh, uh, number 3100, which was merged yesterday. When you export a new container now, it should have the launcher baked in. Second, per your second suggestion, we've talked about limiting retries for this very used case. I think we'll probably implement that, but I'm not so sure of a timeline just yet. So the solution would be the idea of saying to Habitat, only retry so many times and then fail, which then that'll look like a failure to Kubernetes. The idea of having Habitat in Kubernetes kind of scares me, honestly, but whatever. Why is that? Because it's kind of like the same thing, doing the same job inside the same thing, doing the same job, basically Inception. Oh. Yeah. Well, well not the same thing, but the same, the same job being done by different things. Well, why would they use Habitat in Kubernetes, then? 
I, I really don't know offhand, aside from the fact that Habitat gives you a little bit more of a distributed, uh, not even like registration so much as uh, distributed, um, what's the right word? Um, distributed, almost like, a, uh, what's the right word? Um, Management, the, I the memory is the word. The uh, d- distributed, uh, not consensus, but um, elections. No, uh, well, elections, yes, but uh, uh, coordination. Coordination. I would have come up with that. Okay, gotcha. It's not something a lot of developers know about. Well, unless <laughs> they deal kidding. with things at scale. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's head to our let's head to our last GitHub issue of the week. Our last GitHub issue of the week comes to us from IPFS. It's the error is called automatically try relay. It's still open. The writer says, <clears throat> "Now that we have relay support, it's time to start really solving problems with it." It seems to me that the first big thing to look at here is automatically trying to connect via relay if normal methods fail. This is hard for a variety of reasons. We don't want to use a relay if we can possibly connect directly, but we don't want to sit around waiting forever for dial attempts to fail. We then also have to detect if, re- if using relay is even an option. For that has to be the case. Uh, for that to be the case, we have to know wh- that our target supports relay stop, and that we are connected to a relay hop peer that is, uh, a relay hop peer that is connected to them. Once we have relayed a connection to a peer, we should ask them to attempt making a direct connection to us. And if they are successful, use that instead of the relayed connection. This implies we need another good method of migrating our chosen connection to another peer, another peer over at another con. What's con? Connection. Connection. Not connecting. But it's, it's an actual Go object connection. Gotcha. There is a lot here, but I wanted to open up the discussion so we can make a plan of attack. So, uh, oh, go on. Oh, I was going to say, so for some background, IPFS is the idea of, uh, uh, of a distributed file system uh, going through peer-to-peer networks uh, built on top of Git, actually. And the Go IPF- IPFS is the reference implementation, and there's also a Node implementation. And the idea here is uh, to be using the Relay, which is the idea of being able to forward connections between peers as a way to reconnect for failed peers. Gotcha. It's always hard explaining these uh, complicated issues mm-hmm. on a program on an audio production where you can't really look at what's going on. So, yeah, um, it's hard to like even describe code snippets sometimes because then reading the code snippet will confuse the listener. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's but uh, but sometimes you have to. I mean sometimes it's germane to the the issue, so you have to read it. Yeah, you got to pick your battle every time you're reading any of that. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, okay, so what do we do with this, Christian? Well, they just have to implement uh, the ability to reconnect through relays. It's just an interesting idea. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, since we've done our GitHub issues, of course, that means it's time for Tyler's Plus One of the Week. Our plus ones of the week are where we send out our well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people in other organizations. Who's our first plus one for this week, Tyler? First one goes to Lilium. 
because they raised a $90 million Series B to get flying taxis. Flying taxis? What? Why don't we have that? Talk about beating rush hour. How do you have a fly? Is that just a small plane? Exactly. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, that's much easier. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of like you know the gullwing doors and the tires that rotate under the under the carriage and it's just a plane. <laughs> they have small helicopters and there's there's a lot of different concepts, but someone needs to get that like out of the way. Like I had a you know if, if you're going like Uber, you're gonna take that like 30 miles. You might as well take a take a helicopter and get there in five minutes. <laughs> so self-driving planes are the next thing, is what you're saying? That's gotta be scary. I'm Taking sure off and landing in a plane where you're the plane's doing everything. I mean. Then again, like, it's not that hard to drive a plane. Uh, there's, like, three years of school required. See, it's And a easy. ton of continuing education. You need, like, 10,000 hours to get a pilot, uh, some, no, not 10,000 hours. You need some of many thousands of hours to get a pilot's license. Yeah, but that's because you have to know what all the buttons mean. Yeah, so it's not, <laughs> right, so it's not that easy, that really easily. Okay. Well, you know what, when Tesla comes out with a plane, I'm sure it'll be pretty good. Have you seen how many buttons are in an airplane cockpit? But how many of those actually are used? I don't know. You gotta know what they all mean. Like, that's tough. That's hard for a human to do. But a plane, that's easy. There you go. We've been <laughs> sending rockets to space for years to hit an exact target on Mars and the moon. Like, we can we can get me down to Brooklyn pretty easily. <laughs> well, you know, back in, the, back in the good old days, if you had, I think it was on TWA or Pan Am. I think it was Pan Am because they, they had a giant skyscraper in Midtown. They would, if you flew first class, they would take you on a helicopter ride from JFK or LaGuardia to their building in Midtown, and then that was it, and you could just go down the elevator and you're on the, and you're uh, on the city. Oh, Pan Am. It's Pan Am. Yes. That was real first class. Screw the air train and the subway. is kind of like the Ford Bronco of airlines. They messed up so bad that the whole thing went away. Yeah, but it used to be really great. I don't think that happened with Broncos. What? Maybe the Denver Broncos, but not the Ford. The Ford Bronco just came back after 20 years. That's how bad what OJ did was. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can you imagine if that was a Camry? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine doing something so bad in a Camry that they didn't make Camrys for 20 years? Oh, man. Thanks, Dave. And people are still driving their Camrys from 20 years ago. <laughs> All right, All right, what's your next plus one for the week, Tyler? Next plus one, you might not like it, because uh, it's oh, like throwback it. internet. <laughs> it's I, going to this Google, looks good to me. Because Google decided they are now going to punish pop-up ads. Thank yes. the Lord. <laughs> Thank God. Thank the Lord. <laughs> Our audience likes it, too, yes. Wait, does, does this include those pop-ups that say, please disable ad block? <laughs> I hope so. Oh, God, I really I hope so. so. We're looking at you, journalist websites. Well, they need to make money somehow. It is a given. Oh, game. this is gonna just it's totally true. ruin journalism. That's interesting. Well, they might to be careful. The they, those, they have pretty sophisticated uh, ad libraries. Yeah, I'm at, sure the New York Times them. is, you know, talking to Google. Well, they're gonna need like native ads and stuff like that. The ones well, that they, those already mind. exist. But yeah, no, those are the ones that people don't mind though. But it's uh, it's the ones that are like buy my stuff. Right. Buy my stuff. Well, what we've said, what we've always like. said is that surfing the web without a pop-up blocker is like having unprotected sex. In a perfect world, it would be fine, but in, the, in reality, you can get many diseases from it. You don't want yeah. your browser to get a disease, even though it would feel better without the pop-up blocker. Hmm. So, Guys, uh, I feel like I should be talking like a DJ in a strip club. 
for this music. Yeah, yeah, this music. Yeah. yeah. Next up is Crystal. Double double X with Felicity on deck. With Felicity on deck. Well, it looks like Google is. Uh, it says reasonable banner ads are still okay. Google, for the most part, Google is, t- is targeting overlays that gray out the content beneath them to prevent you from reading a website like many that we've used on our show, either for a few seconds or until you find very carefully how to tap a little X to dismiss them. Oh, man, I made one of those recently. <laughs> well, looks like it will be blocked by Google. Publishers Ooh. are likely to be unhappy of the change. Very good. Okay, Tyler. You're, wow, you've got four. Your third plus one this week is... Is another one that Eric might find controversial. Uh-oh. Uh, Spotify will no longer support Safari. Safari. Well, that's because Safari is the new Internet Explorer. <laughs> it sucks bad. So true. It really is. If there's any browser, I mean, listen, I, I, we all have relatively powerful computers. If there's any browser that will actually cause one of these computers to hiccup, to choke at the OS level, it's Safari. Well, Chrome just. Nah, I, you know, I've had Chrome. Right? I've had Chrome eat its lunch. I've had Chrome lock up a few tabs. My computer, the rest of it can still live. I Safari. Mean, if we we, all, we all remember that episode where uh, my computer home killed Chrome, don't we? Yeah, but I mean, but, if you, no, what I'm talking about is this, Christian. If you open up Facebook in Safari, mm-hmm. your computer is unusable until the page loads. That well, shouldn't be. Yeah, that's because it's poor threading in Safari. It's, it's, Safari, it's Safari hasn't had a major overhaul in its threading library in forever. Um, also, Which then explains to... why Spotify will no longer support it. If you go, talk go to on, Tyler. Uh, Low-level, like, WebGL stuff, uh, uh, Safari is not their friend. Oh, they, yeah. They have a field day about that. Yeah. They just they refuse to to embrace new web standards and uh, Apple gets a uh, you know negative well, one for the week. Saf- well, Safari doesn't even make Apple money. That's why this uh, Safari is going to fall by the wayside. Uh, no, it's because Apple doesn't care Apple. about desktop developers. They can never make a laptop another laptop again. And they'd still be an incredibly profitable company. Exactly. It's ironic though because that Safari is such a laggard because of what happened when they uh, launched the iPhone ten years ago. And they said you'll never need anything other than websites because uh, our mobile Safari. Safari is so damn good. Now, Safari, it lags behind everybody else. Well, it was so good back then. Oh, well. It was really good in 2007, and it would have stayed good if they had kept up with the times, but they haven't. And that's exactly what allowed, by the way, that happened to Apple twice. That happened to Apple in the 80s with the Macintosh. They were sitting on their laurels, and then Windows popped up, or Windows 3.1 popped up finally. And then it happened again with the iPhone. And and, uh, and, 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 and now it's Safari. I just... They're really messing it up. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. Plus one for Spotify. Negative one for Apple. Final plus one. Final plus one. like a strip club DJ. Uh, it's to China for planning to implement a ban on fossil fuel cars, at least new ones in the future. Man, this makes us look bad. We look terrible in half the well, places. This is this is just a press release, guys. It says China is preparing to bring an end to the sale and production. I don't... Um, this isn't going to happen anytime soon. Eric's being optimistic. <laughs> well, I mean, in order to make it work, they're going to have to copy extremely successful and performant electric cars. That's the only reason why they have cars now, is because they've copied a bunch of ones that work. Yeah, they're the best at that. How do you think they're right. going cheap iPhone chargers? But they can't, but they're not going to be able they to copy, copy shit and they make it cheap. But they're not going to be able to copy Teslas a million times over and, and give them to their yeah, impoverished citizens. Uh, I they'll disagree. that technology from the Japanese. They'll bring it in. No, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to wait for those Western European countries to ban 
gas cars first, then the companies will come out with newer, more cost-effective electric vehicles, and then China will copy no. those. A Chinese billionaire will just buy an electric car company startup and then just take all that technology and then just bam. No, put that shit the, in an well, assembly line. That could work. That could happen. Yes, but the way that they've been operating is that they like to copy anyway. Speaking at an well, auto farm on se- one. Good job, China. Okay. You know what? That's all that we need to hear from that. You're right. Please turn uh, off the strip okay. music. <laughs> well, good job, Tyler, on the plus ones. And remember to tip your waitress. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, now we have something that doesn't have a theme music on or theme song on pull request. Our ransomware Ooh. update. <clears throat> That's right. Our continuing cover of ransomware. KQED in San Francisco, not to be confused with WQED in Pittsburgh, uh, the KQED TV radio station forced to result to old school ways due to lingering ransomware issues. Uh, KQED, San Francisco's biggest public broadcasting station, has suffered a ransomware attack that set it back about 20 years. The attack first took place about a month ago. Uh... And actually, it's more than a month ago. It says uh, June 15th, wiping out pre-recorded segments, locking up hard drives, and crashing the internal email server. The FM broadcast was able to preserve, how, persevere, however, the online broadcast was out of commission for 12 hours. A month later, they're still doing stuff on paper. And it wasn't even WannaCry. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, no. No empathy from you guys. No <laughs> uh, our oh. next. Cr- yeah, no. Okay, never. Let's let's next. move on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, our next thing to check in with is, of course, the ever uh, curious world of cryptocurrency. And in Russia, Burger King will launch a Whopper coin crypto cash. That's right. Customers will be able to claim one coin for every ruble they spend on the Whopper sandwich. Russians will be able to buy a Whopper with the virtual cash once they have amassed 1,700 Whopper coins. The company said it would release Apple and Android apps next month so people could save, share, and trade their wallet full of Whopper coins. Wait, it takes 1,700 of them to buy a Whopper? It's a terrible value. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, what's the exchange Whoppers rate between rubles and, days, uh, and dollars? Tough. Well, for a ruble to a dollar, it's much better than whatever a Whopper coin is. Well, how do you know it doesn't take 3,000 ruples to buy a Whopper? It doesn't. I think it's like, uh, like, maybe like, probably like 10 to 15. What? Fast food restaurants are fancy places in other countries, bro. <laughs> oh, are they? <laughs> Sometimes. A little bit. Because no. I'm, 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 I'm trying to do the exchange rate of what a Whopper costs in America. Probably so not a Burger know. King in Russia, but I know McDonald's in China, I think, is a nice place. <laughs> okay, one one dollar is seven is fifty seven uh, rubles. So seventeen hundred. Oh, sorry, that's not that uh, bad. Yeah, well, no. no, that's still a lot. So okay, so seventeen hundred ru- Russian rubles is twenty nine dollars. So you that's it's a lot. Yeah, Christian, you're right. That is way too much for a, a whopper. Yeah. Uh, I, why do I feel like? the first thing that these are going to be incorporated with is like xbox and like people are going to be like killing teenagers on call of duty for whopper coins i mean you know with code branding that could probably eat away at something uh... also where do i sign up i need an xbox <laughs> yeah Damn, i mean i just shot three dudes in a row that's like two whoppers <laughs> there you go America. that's good for half a day of gaming that's not even that much um, I, sh- I need to work in the Whopper coin industry. 
Start Whopper coin mining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'll see a you'll see a, a a big donation to next year's election in Whopper coin. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get this money from? The Russians, and then it'll actually be true. So, one mm. other thing we love to talk about. Moving on, <clears throat> is how Theresa May murders the internet, and she's back at it again. Tech giant's failure to use surveillance to tackle, tackle terror poses big moral questions, says Security Minister. It's not her, but one of her cronies. Um, technology giants like WhatsApp and Apple have big moral questions to answer over their failure to prevent terrorists from plotting attacks online, the Security Minister has said. Ben Wallace suggested the firms were hypocrites because they carry out more surveillance on their customers than some governments. Yet they refuse to help security agencies to access encrypted messages sent by criminals. Well, security agencies are always the worst places to go for security. Yes, and the thing that we're going to underscore today is how really insecure a lot of that stuff is. Yep. And you don't want to trust these people. I know. I remember we went through the whole checklist a couple weeks ago, Tyler. Uh, you don't want to go through the uh, that trust checklist. You don't want to trust any of these government agencies. But Ben Wallace here makes a good point in that these services are already surveilling on you, and the government just wants a little a little skim off the top. Why not? You just want a quick peep. Exactly. Undercover reporters for the BBC were given instructions by jihadists through an encrypted messaging service to attack London Bridge in Westminster using vehicles and knives a year before both sites were attacked for real. So, I mean, you know, he has a valid point, and these people, these politicians, over, over, over again. They, they don't understand technology, so they think they can just pull the rug out from underneath encryption and ev- everything will be okay. Like, if you start censoring words, the behavior that triggers those words will go away. We let's censor evil so no one talks about evil anymore. That's not how this works. Oh, is the access to evil coming back? Yeah. You know, uh, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it, he that, said, uh, they can't have it both ways and say, you know we're anti-surveillance. We're companies that don't believe in that. Yet at the same time, that's how they make their money. I mean, it is a point, but at the same time, if they're making their money through metadata, that's already being shared with governments. And if they're making money, if they're monetizing your traffic through an anonymized way, and everything is encrypted end to end, then good on them, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see a big problem with that. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's starting to become a dead horse on both ends. Well, Every, the problem is, is that. People, someone's going to eventually get tired, or a politician is eventually going to make an inroad, and it is going to actually, something's going to happen with this. And that's why we keep coming back to this every week, because every week there's another politician trying to make encryption illegal. And it, while we live in the world of end-to-end encryption now, we already, that's what We don't really. There is so many sites that okay. are unencrypted, including the Equifax have I been screwed uh, website. Yes, and, and we're going to talk about that uh, yeah. in just a second. But the answer the is point, probably. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, the point right. is, though, that um, I lost my train of thought. Whatever. Encryption is math. You, count, you can't outlaw math. These people are trying using emotions. You can't outlaw a fundamental thing of the universe using emotions. I'm sorry, people. Eric, I feel like you could probably find as many new politicians trying to make a law outlawing encryption as you find one trying to find trying to ban gay marriage yeah you know they're usually the same politicians too yeah and it's like every week someone comes up we're really gonna get it done this time no 
Well, I mean, you know, people had said that we were going to legalize gay marriage for a long time, and that finally happened. And then it didn't happen, and then it happened again. Right. So the same thing's going to happen with encryption, except it'll be bad at the end. The same thing happened with weed in Canada. It was legal, and then it wasn't, and it's legal again. Cool. <laughs> it's coming back next year. Blame Canada. There's a, uh, there's a UK independence... Te- uh, sorry, not the UK independent. The uh, UK's independent terror watchdog, Max Hill... Uh, he's the independent reviewer of terrorism legislation. He said in an interview with the oh, Evening Standard... Oh, actual dog. Yeah. Can he Max smell Hill? Crime? Yeah. Why would that be a dog? Because it'd be cool. Yeah. He said he's a dog. That's cool. Tyler, can you get closer to the mic? You're fading away on us. Sorry. Can you imagine um, how cool it would be if Dog the Bounty Hunter was actually a dog? That- yeah, but his name isn't Max. Well, Though I do know someone dog. Who's na- who's, whose dog was named Max, but not Max Hill. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, Let Mr. Go. Hill said okay. that he believed that it would be possible to deliver ver- verification checks on individuals in nanoseconds, and that his idea was a good solution to the perceived problem of Islamist terrorists hiding behind encrypted messaging services. What do you think about that? Eh. Allow encryption to people who can be verified, so we can at least know that it's you? Eh. I need some real answer here, Christian. Well, because you can just... You, you... Worst comes to worst, you build encryption yourself. It's not hard either. And it's just, this is something that you can't get around. Encryption is a thing that's mathematically there and just will always be there. That's true. Even if you outlaw it, only the outlaws will use it. So, and the the last thing that I want to touch on about encryption is that there was a guy, his name is Francis Rawls. He's a former Philadelphia cop, Philadelphia. He was thrown in jail because he refused to provide a password to unlock his encrypted hard drive on his Macintosh. I have the same setup on mine. So that's illegal, not in the U.S. explicitly, but there have been recent things. But that is illegal in most other countries, though. Well, have you heard of the All Writs Act? Nope. That was in, uh, I believe it's like some early, early, I believe it might predate the Constitution. It's something that says that you must, in any way that you can, aid an ongoing law enforcement investigation, which would then include, in a very broad reading, implicating yourself, which is protected by the Constitution, but implicating yourself by providing a password to decrypt a device that you own. That literally can't predate the Constitution. <laughs> uh, I, there is something about the date, because it is really old. Um... It is 1789. Okay. It didn't predate the Constitution, but it no, was very... you're right. It does. The Constitution's 1812. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. That was the war. Mm. That was 1814. Anyway, this law is from 1789. America was but a small nation, a young nation. And uh, it authorizes... The All Writs Act authorizes the United States federal court to, quote, issue all writs necessary or appropriate in aid of their respective jurisdictions and agreeable to the usages and principles of law. However, we have between the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, those are supposed to be protections against things like this from the government coming at, at you and saying you must encrypt or decrypt your hard drive, and you can say no. Now, it says here in this article that he actually tried to enter... He said he couldn't remember the password, and he entered three incorrect passwords during meetings with investigators. What I would have done is entered ten incorrect passwords during meetings with the investigators, so it would have zeroed out the drive. Well, obviously they stopped him beforehand. Oh, you think they stopped him? You don't think he stopped? Yes. 
What if the lawyers who wrote the Constitution made it intentionally conflicting so that we'd stay in court more and therefore profit the lawyer industry? It also profits the prison industry, too. Yeah, but so, it's a byproduct in, of the lawyer industry. Yes, he's <laughs> indefinitely in jail. And the All Writs Act allows law enforcement to indefinitely detain people. So be on the lookout for that. That law that had seen a two, over a 200-year sunset uh, is now coming back into the fray because this is a way to get around the Constitution. When was the uh, Fourth Amendment passed? I mean, that was part, part of the Bill of, the Bill of Rights. Rights. That was part of the, yeah. But no, no, but I mean, when, 1789. when was... 1789. Yeah, it's the Constitution. And that's exactly when this law was passed. So it's part of the Constitution. Ratified, ah, look at this. Ratified December 15th, 1791. So technically, this All Writs Act might predate the Constitution we, which we under just some semantic 1789. arguments. So this is two years after the Constitution. No, but the Constitution wasn't ratified until 91. Oh. So and the All Writs Act was from 89. Ratified just means recognized by all states of the union. I know, so it doesn't count yeah, until so it it's ratified. Until That's then. the point. It counts in whatever states already uh, respected it. Okay. Well, it's not technically a law until they all ratify. I already said it's under semantic discussion, whether or not it predates the Constitution. They were both rabble. written at the same time. Anyway. The, anyway. Next. Uh, what is next? Oh. Okay. Uh, before we talk about the, uh, before we talk about Equifax, as that is the biggest breach in history, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, as you always do. That's four uh, fingers in the back door. Well, it's definitely the most, uh, affecting, uh, breach in history. Here are some other data breaches that have occurred this year alone. And we'll just touch on these really quickly before we dive into Equifax. We have... Esports Entertainment Association. On January 8th, actually on December 30th, 2016, ESEA, that's that company, one of the largest, largest video gaming communities issued a warning to players after discovering a breach. At the time, it wasn't known what was stolen and how many people were affected. In January, they said that 1.5 million ESEA records had been added to its database and that leaked records included a great deal of private information. Moving on to Xbox 360 ISO and PSP ISO on February 1st, security expert Troy Hunt of the website Have I Been Pwned revealed that Xbox 360 ISO and the PSP ISO had been hacked in September of 2015. These websites, both forums and which host illegal video game download files, had sensitive user information that was taken. 1.2 million Xbox 360 ISO users and 1.3 million PSP ISO users were affected and that may have had their email addresses, IP addresses, usernames, and passwords stolen. At this time, it's not clear who's responsible. Number four, number three? Number three. Also in February, the Intercontinental Hotels Group. On February 7th, the company that owns the popular hotel chains like Crown Plaza, Holiday Inn, and Candlewood Suites and Kingston Hotels announced a data breach that affected 12 of its properties. Malware was found on servers that processed payments made at on-site restaurants and bars. Well, uh, let's keep going. Arby's, February 17th. <laughs> what? It's Arby's. That's yeah, true, Arby's. Arby's! Uh, uh, the national fast food chain acknowledged a data breach after being pressured by the website Krebs on security. The company admitted that they had been notified in mid-January about a possible breach on select restaurants. Excuse me. 
but the FBI had asked them not to go public yet. Malware was placed on payment systems inside of certain Arby's corporate stores, which made up about one-third of all Arby's in the nation. There were about a thousand corporate Arby's restaurants, and while not all were affected, it is not clear yet how many there were. The company says the malware has been removed, however the scope of the breach is not known. Moving on to March. March 6th with River City Media. A group of spammers operating under the name River City Media unknowingly released their private data into cyberspace after failing to properly configure their backups. The leak known as Spammergate included hit chat logs, domain registration records, accounting details, infrastructure planning, production notes, scripts, business affiliations, and more. The biggest discovery, however, a database of 1.4 billion email accounts, IP, billion B email accounts with IP addresses, full names, and some physical addresses. Thankfully, the good guys found the information. Uh, let's see. Moving on. Verifone. Same day, March 7th. Oh, sorry. This is the following day, March 6th. I should listen to myself when I talk. Uh, Krebs on Security revealed that Verifone, the largest maker of the point-of-sale credit card terminals used in the U.S., discovered a breach of its internal network in January. When asked, Verifone said that the branch or the breach didn't affect its payment services network and was only within the corporate network. The company claims they responded to the breach immediately and the potential for misuse of information is limited. Sources say there's an evidence that a Russian hacking group is responsible for the breach and that the intruders may have been inside Verifone's network since mid-2016, but nothing has been confirmed. Also in March. March has actually been quite a wow. Look at this. There's got, So we did 6th, 7th. There's one on the 15th, one on the 19th. That was Saks Fifth, Fifth Avenue. On the 20th was UNC Healthcare. Is that University of North Carolina? Uh, America's Job Link on March 21st. The FAFSA IRS Data Retrieval Tool on April 6th. Oh, uh, that's a dangerous one. That is a dangerous one. Here, the IRS re- revealed that up to 10... Uh, I'm sorry, that wasn't 10,000. That was a 100,000 taxpayers may have had their personal information stolen in a scheme involving the IRS Data Retrieval Tool. Well, that's... <laughs> I mean, come on. They, uh, what is it supposed... It's actually working. The government made something that works too well. Imagine well. that. I mean, all those sites are so incredibly insecure. It's yes. Yes. And they only run in IE or Safari. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the data retrieval tool was used to create something that a lot of us have filled out while going to college, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, or FAFSA. In March 2017, federal officials have preserved a, uh, observed a potential data breach and took the tool down. On April 19th, the Intercontinental Hotels Group... Didn't we? Oh, there's an update. Uh, what was the update? Uh, where did I go? Where did it go? Update. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Said the dozen hotels initially named were the only ones they were under. Tyler, what are you doing? Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, April 25th, Chipotle on uh, May 2nd. Oh, that died on me. Uh, anyway. <coughs> uh, Chipotle's had a hard year. Between the between the Listeria and the Salmonella, and now their now their servers are getting hacked. Wait, Listeria? Yeah, there was like a Listeria fear in their lettuce or something like that. Huh. Allegedly, I'm pretty sure. I think I recall. I may be misremembering. It was I, E. coli. I, e. coli. Thank you. Listeria was ice. Something. Something else. Anyway, that's not good. They've had a tough year, so they posted a notice of data security incident on its website to let customers know about unauthorized activity it had detected on a network that supports in-restaurant payment processes. It believes that payment card transactions that occurred from March 24th to April 18th, 2017 may have been affected. 
The investigation is still ongoing, and at the time this notice was published, the company did not have any additional information. It just said that it believes it has stopped. Believes it has stopped. Okay. Uh, there's something that was, there was the company that Dunder Mifflin turned into, Sabre, the Sabre Hospitality Solutions on May 2nd, or Sabre, sorry, uh, Sa- there was an inside joke, anyway, uh, anyway, Sa- Sabre Hospitality Solutions, a tech company that provides reservation system services for more than 36,000 properties, got hacked. On May 3rd, Gmail. Uh, Gmail users were targeted in the sophisticated phishing scam that was seeking to gain access uh, to accounts via a third-party app. We remember talking about that a few weeks ago, a few months ago, rather. Uh, the emails were made to look like they were from a user's trusted contact. Uh, some, some more going on. We've got uh, Bronx Lebanon Hospital Center, Brooks Brothers, DocuSign. Docu- Christian DocuSign got hacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, one but they're only emails. Yeah. Uh, one login, Kmart. University of Oklahoma, Washington State University, Deep Root Analytics, Blue Cross Blue Shield slash Anthem. Sorry, Christian, for your health insurance. That's not uh, me. That was, oh, <laughs> That's that you. Was, no, I had that none. Uh, June oh, 27th. no, but I'm saying what you're going to. No, that was United. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather Blue Cross, but not after they got hacked. Uh, they've, Anthem has agreed to a $115 million settlement in connection with the data breach in 2015 that impacted 80 million of their customers. That is but half, or maybe 60%, of, of Equifax's mess-up. Uh... Across Anthem, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Georgia, Empire, Amerigroup, CareMore, Unicare, HealthLink, and Decare Brands. Sucks for them. Anyway. Uh, uh, California <laughs> Associated of Real- Re- Realtors, Verizon, an online spam bot, Talent, Pen, and Tiger Swan. We're going to talk about them in a second. And, of course, Equifax. And that's right. So Equifax is the largest data breach that we've ever seen so far, and much like these hurricanes that are also the largest we've ever seen so far, will probably keep increasing in the future. So, dreaded data breach couches consumer credit woes. Let's hear it from our news department. And they can hear you typing. Pneumonium presents news to you. Atlanta. One of Americans' fine institutions of credit has suffered a massive breach that has exposed the information of half the country, thereby creating the biggest cybersecurity incident we've ever seen. This personally identifiable information, or PII, is now making its way across the dark web, enabling hackers around the world to run attacks on many, many Americans. Ironically, the company has offered its data breach protection services as a means to remedy against its own attack. Perhaps Equifax should have been their own customer. Before this news was made public, three senior executives at Equifax allegedly sold their stock, totaling almost $2 million. Equifax is offering free credit monitoring support for those affected and has set up a website to check if your information has been compromised. So what does this mean for computer security going forward? Only time will tell. And though many Americans are afraid of what happens next, we at least know the world, still times and the truth, marches on. And that's why this has been News to You. Brought to you by Pneumonia. So, what if it's just a big old con and... They said stuff got leaked, but nothing really got leaked. But now everyone's going to them for free counseling to make sure that their stuff didn't get leaked. 
that would be highly illegal. And well, no, the whole thing about giving the free counseling is that you waive your rights to uh, Well, hold litigation. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. One thing at a time. There's a lot of information about this, and we need to step through this information properly because whether it's the breach itself, whether it's the website that tells you if, you were, if your information got leaked, whether it's the services that they're providing as remedy to this breach, there's a lot of information and a lot of misinformation and well, a lot of context. You, okay. For instance, are not entertaining my fun conspiracy theory. For instance, I love that, but you know, we, we have a, we can't, you know, we're already short on time. I'm sorry, Tyler. Thanks to you. Yeah. Well, I'm the one putting the show together. Anyway, uh-huh. uh, the thing is, about the breach, let's talk about that really quickly. Yeah. Um, let's talk ha- about what caused it. Yes, hackers were able to un- access the info quickly what was breached, including your personal information, social security numbers, addresses, credit history, etc. Uh, they, they say it was a flaw in the open source software created by the Apache Foundation. The company so, told Jeffrey Mueller, an analyst at R.W. Blair and Company, my understanding is that the breach was perpetuated by the Apache Struts flaw. So it was not, it was not the Apache Struts. Uh, actually, what it was was Equifax's uh, ineptitude to keep Struts up to date. Being, oh. Basically, it's the, uh, you have the Camry factor where Toyota Camrys are the most likely stolen cars because there's so many of them. Apache Struts is the most hacked at uh, software because it's the number one MVC framework used in the Java world, which all the Fortune 100s use Java. Right. Much like on the other end of that spectrum, Mac, 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 Macintosh computers weren't targeted because they were such a small share of the market. But now yep. they are because they've grown. So uh, Struts is a widely available software system. You could tell this wasn't a tech blog that wrote this article because it didn't even mention what, what it was, which is a framework. I didn't know that. It says it's used about by about 65% of the Fortune 100 companies. So that is pretty big. Equifax has created a website to check to see if your if your stuff has been has, if your stuff has been hacked, leaked. And Which that's Equifax. Using a hold stock on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's equifaxsecurity2017.com. Now, when you go on the website, you'll find something like Christian just blurted out. They're using WordPress. And a stock version of a stock version of WordPress that also allows you to enumerate the users on the system because they're using another insecure plugin that I unfortunately like using if it's locked down called WP JSON, which allows you to that outputs the WordPress stuff in a vanilla JSON object that you can import into your single page app. So it actually will give WordPress a few more years because it allows it to meld into modern web design. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, the website, the EquifaxSecurity2017.com, is completely broken at best and little more than a stalling tactic or sham at worst. In the early hours after the breach announcement, the site was being flagged by various browsers as a phishing threat. It makes sense because you have to enter your last name and the last six digits of your social in order to tell if you were hacked or not. However, people are getting disparate responses based on, or ambivalent responses based, dichotomous, there we go, responses based on if they're using the, com- uh, they're using the website on their phone versus a desktop or laptop computer. And they have a screenshot here. This is also from Krebs on security, as we've mentioned earlier. Uh, he has a, uh, they have a screenshot that says, from your phone, it looks like your information was not impacted. And then from the laptop, with, of course, of course, the same information, it looks like your information may have been impacted. Now, I tried this website, and guess what, guys? It I'm screwed. was impacted? Yeah. <laughs> Sucks, it really does, but I mean, how many of these notices do we get? I just read off that whole list of exploits, and 
every few weeks you get another, your information might have been compromised when giving you a free year of identity protection. And that seems to be standard practice for all these people. Well, I think the solution is don't let people who don't know what they're doing manage your stuff, which that's a huge problem here is the fact that Equifax, Experian, and the other guy are the only things, yeah, the only things to do credit scores, and yet they're making themselves these giant targets and they don't understand security because the first thing about understanding security is don't make yourself a giant target. Well, why, if these people have all the money, like they should, as the end of uh, Fight Club suggests, why don't they just hire the right people and pay them what they're worth so they can well, prevent... because these guys don't have that money, but this is actually much more like uh, Mr. Robot. The, be- the best possible situation to come out of this is we hit the reset button. Right. Right. Which is what they did at the end of Fight Club. Sorry for spoiling a 21-year-old movie. But um, there is, there is a, 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 some legalese hidden within that Equifax website, Christian, that you mentioned... By, by consenting to submit your claims to arbitration, you will be forfeiting your right to bring or participate in any class action, whether as a named plaintiff or as a class member, to share in any class action reward or including class claims where a class has not yet been certified. Even if the facts or circumstances upon which the claims are based have already occurred or existed. That's what you were talking about if you... If you um, what is it? If you accept their free year of credit mm-hmm. monitoring service, you waive your right to sue them. Yep. Uh, now, and that's yeah. very important to understand because that's a that should be illegal. That should they mm-hmm. should get. They, but I, I, who knows if anyone's going to actually sue them? Because can they? <laughs> I, they? I don't know. You can't. I, I feel like waive. Like you shouldn't be allowed to waive one of those rights. But. It looks like that specific verbiage is still being investigated, and it's up in the air officially as to if that pertains to future incidences with Equifax or if that pertains to existing incidences, as in this one. Because remember, Facebook has another kind of shady legalese that you accept while using React, which is you, you, the extra waiver of patent rights. You waive your right to sue Facebook if you well, use that Well, that's very common, actually. That's not... It's the same kind of... I'm trying not to curse. It's the same it's kind not, of bad practice, Christian. It's, no, it's not. It's two totally separate things. It's trying to prevent people from suing you because of your shittiness. Excuse me. And no, that's not the case at all with React. React, you're using uh, intellectual property of Facebook and therefore cannot go uh, chasing after uh, in, in React. Facebook infringing on a patent with, in React because you're using React. Oh, whatever. Um... Let's see. Uh, to acknowledge before signing up for the service seems to include legal verbiage uh, suggesting that those who do sign up for the free service will waive their rights. Still waiting on words from an actual lawyer who's looking at this contract. Uh, update. Equifax has updated their bra- breach alert page to include the following response in regard to the unclear legalese. Quote, In response to consumer inquiries, we have made it clear that the arbitration clause and class action waiver included in the Equifax and Trusted ID Premier terms of use Terms of use does not, does not apply to this cybersecurity incident. So, I don't know what the hell is going to happen to you, but you will still be able to sue Equifax or join a class action lawsuit. You'll get that letter in the mail, I'm sure, so shortly, uh, when that comes to pass. One other thing they wanted to, uh, to mention is that Experian, 
Equifax's chief competitor is capitalizing on the on our fears of what's going to happen to our credit history, and they and Experian has started advertising a credit lock subscription service. Um, that basically does the same thing that uh, Equifax's services do, except Experian hasn't been hacked recently. Because Experian doesn't use uh, struts, and they use something much better uh, because they keep their software Which is up what? to date. Uh, it's a bit more homegrown, but they keep it up to date and they monitor CVEs. I've spoken to a developer from Experian in the past. They are, they've got their stuff much... They have their stuff together much better than Equifax does. Well, that sounds like a very experienced developer. Experienced. <laughs> Here's a, uh, an unfortunate side effect from this breach. Equifax hackers could file taxes in your name and steal your tax refund. The whole article's in the headline. That's basically, I mean, it's pretty simple. They have your information, they have your address and social, and they have all of your bank account info. And yep. they could run it through the they could run it through the TurboTax and they'll fill out your stuff. Yep. No, Luckily the right thing for me, to do, the right thing to do here is hit the reset button. But we're not gonna. The right thing to do here is to make sure that you don't get a refund from the IRS. That's your money anyway. Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, there was one other thing. Oh yes, three Equifax managers allegedly sold stock. Or I mean, sorry, they did sell the stock, but the connection between. If this is, if it was, sorry, if it was connected to this attack, which I mean, it sounds like it, but legally, they say well, no. No, it doesn't have to be. Uh, companies don't have to disclose a breach at all. Technically, they can keep it under wraps all they want. So, oh. And uh, most breaches that are disclosed, it, the company is known at least for a month in advance. Right, and these people have known since July, and now we found out this week. Yep. Yeah, and it, and it, I think it might still be going on. Probably. Three Equifax senior executives have sold shares worth almost $1.8 million in the days after the company discovered a security breach that may have compromised information on about 143 U.S. consumers. Now, think about this for a second. Uh, the number of eligible voters in the U.S. is... Uh, uh, that didn't tell me the number. There's 200 million registered voters out of 320 million people. So... I'm trying to put together some kind of demographic here, but I guess I can't. 143 million people are more than half the adults in the country. That's what I was getting at. Mm -hmm. It's almost, I mean, 143 over 200. That's, you know, that's 70% of everyone who's eligible to vote. Their information is out in the world, even though it probably already was from these other hacks. Mm -hmm. uh, so they could yeah. easily so, take 100,000 um, votes in the next election to swing it. <laughs> exactly, especially if they're uh, donating in Whopper coin. <laughs> um, uh, it, let's see. It discovered the intrusion on July 29th. Regulatory filings show that on August 1st, first, first, uh, both, on August 1st, Chief Financial Officer John Gamble, his name is Gamble, he works for a credit agency, that's funny, uh, <laughs> sold shares worth 946 grand. Joseph Logren, president of U.S. Information Solutions, exercised options to dispose of stock worth 584,000. And Rodolfo Ploder, who I only imagine when he does in the bathroom, uh, president of Workforce Solutions, sold a quarter of a million dollars worth of stock on August 2nd. None of the filings, sorry, none of the filings list the transactions as being part of the 10B51 scheduled trading plans. I don't know what that is. Um, 
Gamble sold more than 13% of his stake. Logren so, so, uh, I can't read. sold 9%, and Ploder exploded about 4 Equifax said in a statement that intruders accessed names, social security numbers, birth dates, addresses, driver's license numbers, and credit card numbers for about 209,000 customers. Now, where did the 143 million come from? Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. The incident ranks among the largest cybersecurity breaches in history. Ranks amongst, not is the biggest. What happened? Well, this is, this is just like that hurricane. It's the bigger, bigger storm in the world, and it actually hits, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Equifax shares, now's the time to buy, tumbled 13% to 123.81 in early trading uh, at, at 9 o'clock. Yep. Uh, oh, and right under that, I didn't read this article, but it says Equifax's insurance is likely inadequate for breach. That's great. Because <laughs> uh, this breach is very much like uh, the Target breach. They had, some, uh, they had an insecure third party that accessed the database. I guess that's not what this was. Well, that's was how it? all yeah. these breaches actually work. Where, well, it, it is. They're able to, through a REST API connection, well, REST API integration, uh, be able to send in malicious stuff because they happened to figure out that Equifax was using struts and an older version of struts. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, it looks like, is there is the new version of struts called Shocks? No, it's struts. Oh, I like puns. Okay, well, that's Equifax. Anything else to add on that? Nope. Moving on, another leak happened in the wonderful world of Apple. Over uh, the weekend... Do we want to actually, uh, since we're tight on time, move to that government leak? Well, hold on. This is really quick. The Goldmaster for iOS 11 leaked over the weekend, and people are digging through it, trying, trying to do their normal stuff. I wanted to mention it just because it's in the tone of leaks, and everyone's going through figuring out with the new iPhone, the iPhone X is going to have, might have a new facial ID system that replaces touch ID, so there's no home button. Uh, this way you have to take a picture every time you want to do something. That's going to be fun. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff. Apple has a conference on Tuesday, and you can expect to hear coverage of that and, continue, and more continuing confefe of Apple on our next pull request. As Christian snorts up some more energy for the rest of the show. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay. There's this one from Gizmodo that I believe hasn't been uh, entirely verified, Christian. Mm -hmm. So take this with a grain of salt. Or not a, or not a grain of salt. Sorry, take this with that in mind. That this might not necessarily be 100%. But reading this article and the updates to the article, it does sound like this happened. Thousands of files containing the personal information and expertise of Americans with classified and up to top secret security clearances have been exposed by an unsecured Amazon server, potentially for most of the year. Remember when we said Jeff Bezos has that private intelligence cloud with the CIA? And then it's also connected to Whole Foods? This is well, probably part of that. Well, so there's a whole section of AWS that is specifically for government organizations that is much more locked down than anything else in AWS, allegedly. Then why was this government agency with uh, not, not putting data on that super secure AWS bucket? Because this is probably their staging environment or their testing environment or something. This happens a lot, actually. Well, the files have been traced back to TigerSwan. Now, there's two companies here, TigerSwan and TalentPen. 
These both sound like companies that came from the early 2000s. Yep. Uh, the files have been traced back to Tiger Swan, a North Carolina-based private security firm. But in a statement on Tuesday, Tiger Swan implicated Talent Pen, a third-party vendor apparently used by the firm to process new job applicants. At the time, there was never there was sorry at no time there was ever a breach of data of any kind at Tiger Swan. The firm said. All resume files, not resume files, I need accents. All resume files in Tiger Swan's possessions were secure. We take seriously the failure of Talent Pen to ensure the security of this information and regret any inconvenience or exposure our former recruiting vendor may have caused those applicants. This is yet another third party. Third, I was just going to say that. Third party mess up. Uh, they get they're under they're, the they're bus. just pointing fa- fingers to this guy. This, this is just as much their fault as being a security firm. They should do their due diligence and then they didn't. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're, they're, no, who knows? Is Tiger Swan like a name in the industry? I don't think so. They're a security for- firm. They're I know, not- but there's a million security firms. Yeah. Uh, no. So no, it, I know. They don't I'm wanna- saying they're doing their job terribly. Yeah, well, right. And they also, they're, right, they're, they're doing both of their jobs terribly, which is, uh, which is uh, damage control and security. So, uh, <clears throat> let's see. Um, uh, exploring all recourse and options available to us and those who have submitted a resume. Found on an insecure Amazon S3 bucket without the protection of any password, not even John Podesta's password of password, the cache of roughly 9,400 documents reveal extraordinary details about thousands of individuals who were formerly and may be currently employed by the Department of Defense and within the U.S. intelligence community. Other documents reveal sensitive and personal details about Iraqi and and Afghan nationals who have cooperated and worked alongside military forces in their home countries. According to the security firm who also discovered and reviewed the documents, between 50 and 20 applicants reportedly met this criteria. Files unearthed by, uh, this summer by a security analyst at the California-based cybersecurity firm UpGuard, another portmanteau of two words, uh, camel case, were discovered in a folder labeled resumes containing the curriculum vitae of thousands of U.S. citizens holding top-secret security clearances, a prerequisite for their jobs at the CIA, the NSA, and the Secret Service. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sounds wonderful. Uh, Gizmodo investigation into the potential consequences of the breach was interrupted on Saturday after Tiger Swan went public with a statement on its website, which is what we read up there. Is this the quick one? Yeah. No, the quick one was Apple. Oh, I didn't know if we were still on the Apple one or this was still Apple. No. I couldn't tell if it was really, really quick or, like, kind of quick. No, the Apple one was really quick. We, we left it. That was super quick. Yeah. It didn't even exist. Because we're spending time on this. And there's more Apple stuff next week, so I don't want to go through the whole thing now. But this is government. Private intelligence cloud got pwned. Throw, security company that was in charge throwing a third-party vendor under the bus to try to save face. Hashtag bad, bad optics. Uh, yeah. And then the updates are basically... Uh, I like that. Tigers want canceled talent pen services and... Uh, I don't know. This seems real. I don't. What, what is your? What are your reservations, Christian, about it not being uh, a real story? Well, just that the the specific government ties to it have not been confirmed. But will they be confirmed? Because this is top I, secret I, stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think this is as good as you're going to get. So, believe it if you want. I think it actually happened. This is much more believable than that Alex Jones crap. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, moving on. New ESET research uncovers Gazer. The stealthy backdoor that spies on embassies. 
Security researchers at ESET have released a new research have released new research today into the activities of the notorious Turla cyber espionage group, and specifically a previously undocumented backdoor that has been used to spy on consulates and embassies worldwide. ESET's research team, I feel like that's a pun opportunity, a pun opportunity, were the first in the world to document the advanced backdoor malware, which they have t- named Kaiser despite evidence that it has been actively deployed in targeted attacks since governments, against governments and diplomats at least since 2016. There's a pun between backdoor and gazer. <laughs> <laughs> I really like watching her box. Whoa! Okay. I need to recut these clips. Um, <laughs> 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 no, that was perfect. Quagmire, All right, uh. That was perfect, actually. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Uh, the, uh, here are the calling card. What is it? The attacks show the hallmarks of past campaigns launched by the Turla hacking group, namely, A, targeted organizations are embassies and ministries. B, spearfishing delivers a first stage backdoor, such as Skipper. C, a second stealthier backdoor. What is Skipper? I don't know. It sounds funny now. Oh, uh, you want me to Gilligan's click it? Island character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Skipper is, uh, uh, is a whole thing. Anyway, we'll, we'll have to get back on that. Uh, anyway, see, a second stealthier backdoor, Gazer in this instance, but past examples have included Carbon and, Ka- and Casuar, is put in place. The second stage backdoor receives encrypted instructions from the gang via CNC servers using compromised legitimate websites as a proxy. That's nothing new. Uh, the most recent example of the Gazer backdoor malware found by ESET's research team, clear evidence that we, was seen that someone had modified most of its strings and inserted phrases related to video games throughout the code. And you can see in their screenshot, uh, what is LEA? That's like less than equal. Isn't that like a compare, a compare thing in assembly? Um. Anyway, it has an error message, only single player is allowed. Don't be fooled by the sense of humor. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Falling, falling foul of computer criminals is no laughing matter. Oh, that's low defect address. Oh. So that, okay, so that loads this, the string into that register? Yep. Gotcha. I misassembly. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's keep going. Um, oh, there was a hurricane again. Yeah, that hurricane was a thing. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Don't go uh, outside if you're in Florida. That's it. Uh, you know, but it's not going to be that bad. Especially on the East Coast, which is one that counts. Don't go to Florida. Don't go to Florida. I spent 20 years there. This is a public service, anna- this yeah, is a public service announcement <laughs> from, be- from, from pull request telling you to not go to Florida. Don't go! Okay. The worst yeah, part I spent is, 20 years there. Look how he turned out. Exactly. That's why I'm... The worst I'm part is surge waters with pythons and crocodiles in it. Actually, yeah. In fact, uh, one of my friends from Florida uh, posted a video on Facebook, which, A, how bad is this hurricane if you're still using Facebook? And, B, he's, uh, he literally saw fish swimming in the bank in his driveway. Mm. Huh. I mean, they, you know, Obama had been saying you could see fish swimming on the streets on a sunny day in Miami. Well, this hurricane is actually raining fish and, and a bunch of water down on top of you. And, it's uh, raining fish. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so we've got one last story for the night. But before we do that, 
Let's mention something that we haven't talked about in a long time. It's... Where am I? Hey, friends! Do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator helping you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find your closest neighborhood borough and three closest subway stops to you, wherever you are. No tracking, no hang-ups, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. Okay. And now, our last story for the evening, which I lost the tab because I started pulling up more stuff. It is, uh, FCC.gov lets you upload any file using its own public API key. What was that? I heard, like, the Jaws intro or something. (laughs) Anyway, basically... It's the FCC's website allows you uh, to upload a document attachment for some reason. And you can, there's no restrictions on the types of documents that you can upload. So uh, the links no longer work, by the way. Since this has come out, the FCC has taken notice and they've closed down the whole system. So talking about this is not going to enable anything further from happening. But uh, the FCC has a public API and an API key that you can sign up with using a fake email address or one of those self-destructing mail accounts. They don't even do that kind of check. So you can use your 10-minute mail account to get an API key from the FCC and then use their public API to upload an image up to, people have been saying, up to 25 megabytes in size. People have uploaded (laughs) PDFs, GIFs, ELFs, XEs, MP4s, anything. Up to 25 megabytes seems to go right to FCC.gov. So for Uh, those with the technical chops have discovered that you can upload a video and play it back using FCC.gov's link, uh, though some have had trouble uploading, and some, uh, while others playing with the vulnerability are clearly fine. Um, And I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff. And it looks like, here's even a better way. It looks like on on their forums where you're allowed to comment on the FCC's actions, on the comment, it actually lets you just, it assigns a link, sorry, it assigns a URL to your comment and attachment before it's posted. So that allows you to get around having to register for an API, and you could probably use their public API to upload your stuff right to the URL. And that's what this person did. Uh, OP was commenting on FCC.gov website just before a midnight deadline and realized that they assigned a URL to a file before posting a comment. The express comment filing system that most people are using does not allow you to attach files, and I was using the more robust filing feature. OP was upset about net neutrality and decided to create a document showing the new, uh, showing the now immortal sentence and upload it to the FCC, which is, <clears throat> we're sorry Ajit Pai is such a filthy, spineless cuck. And hmm. was, yep, and that's uploaded right there for people to view on FCC.gov until it was taken down recently. Nice. Uh, now, it's an interesting because the guy that uploaded this, because he did it in the comment system, actually never had to agree to the, their terms of service or the terms of service for the API. So he actually didn't break any rules, uh, you know, saving a court hearing. I don't think he actually broke any rules because he never applied for an API key. He just managed to get the URL through their faulty comment system. And it doesn't look like the FCC has done anything to enforce, to prevent people from doing this, other than after this news came out, they took down the stuff. 
What do you think? Yeah, right? Thank God. Yeah. Oh, man, someone called him a cuck on the internet. Holy crap. I mean, I'm just hoping somebody already took a crap in his giant Reese's Pieces cup. I'll just say this. I wouldn't be... I wouldn't drink the coffee that he gets in the morning. Yeah. I think we all were. Yeah. Especially when Netflix is buffering. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week's pull request. Uh, You know who I've never asked? Actually, no. I'll do that later. So, Tyler, I don't ask you first, but why not? Do you approve this week's pull request? Christian, how about you? Looks good to me. The people I've never asked, of course, were our studio audience. Guys, do you approve of this week's pull request? (laughs) Wonderful. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you all next week right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium, LLC, or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Volpec. Visit them at V-U-L-F-P-E-C-K dot com. <laughs>